Blog Talk Radio. You did hear that, right? Feel free to respond. It's a gridiron stud show and a promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Talamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts, Amal and Chad, with your breakfast toast. Palomino, we've been gone for a while, but we're back again. Uh, let me make sure I got my co-host here with me. Amo Calamino, are you in the house? I am in the house. You shuffled me back house. from Florida. Yeah, yeah, all systems are go here. Uh, it's the Gridiron Stud Show. Uh, Amo, I've come to uh, I've come to this please conclusion, I guess you could call it. Uh, I'm still on Blog Talk Radio, so that by that virtue, I've I'm forbidden to complain because um, it's going to be everything going to be my fault from this point forward. If I continue to stay with these guys, then you know, it really falls on my shoulders. I'm actively seeking another option. So, um, as yeah, now, I know you're so, all over that, and uh, you know, hopefully that gets set up soon, and and we get off here because there's an over under on today's show. At what point it gets cut off? So. Yeah, I do want to make an announcement to our listeners, whether they be live or in the archive version. Um, a little bit of a congratulations pat on the back for you and I. We have uh, the show is going to be now on Dash Radio, and uh, I'm very, very proud to announce that the Red Iron Stead show is now going to be picked up by Dash Radio. They have 200 stations, um, and you can download the Dash Radio app. Dash Radio app, you can find it in the App Store, and uh, a number of podcasts carried right now. Like I said, 200. And uh, we're going to be part of the Dash Radio family, so I'm very pleased to announce that uh, moving forward. So we're doing wow, we're things. moving on up, Chad. Yes, we are. We're definitely moving on up. First, we were punked by uh, Howard Stern, like that really happened. And uh, then I got punked by, jeez, uh, Joe Buck. And now we're on Dash Radio. Man, full speed ahead here at Gridiron Studs. You, wait, you got punked? Wait, you didn't tell me. You, wait, did you tell me? That you got, oh, wait, you got punked by Joe, Joe Buck? Man, Joe Buck called the show and uh, gave me a hard time. I don't know why I'm a target for this stuff, but uh, wait. So he called you, okay? Joe Buck, the you know, the, Joe, Joe Buck, as in like I hang out with Troy Aikman, Joe Buck. Yeah, Joe Buck does the World Series, Joe Buck. You know. Okay, I'm so on you're on one day. You're on one day. I'm obviously not with you. And, and Joe Buck calls, and what does he say? I mean, come on, tell me the story. You didn't tell me this. Man, I'm sorry. We missed that. Joe Buck called the show and uh, basically asked me how I feel about Joe Buck. Like, I'm not going to know that that's his voice. It was a little easier to discern his voice for some reason over Howard Stern. Although you and I both should have figured out that that was Howard Stern almost instantly. He does have a distinct voice. But Joe Buck, I realized almost immediately. Um, Just calling and asking how I feel about Joe Buck, my opinion on Joe Buck, and proceeds to make fun of himself, um, and then, um, you know, a little bit fun of me, then hung up. 
guess that's all, man. You, know, you should have uh, told I mean, him, you see, once you realize it was him, right, without, you should have played dumb, like you didn't know it was him, and say, you know, he's a pretty good announcer, but I think he's in love with Troy Aikman, if you want to know the truth, and just see what he said. That went over well, I mean, hearing you say that, pretty glad you weren't on the show that day. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, I mean, if, if you should be glad. If I found out that was Joe Buck, oh, that, that was definitely coming out of my mouth. Exactly. There you go. All right. Uh, what are we lying about today? Meaning that's what are the what are the headlines today? According to sources, the Pats are not going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Amo, I don't know your feeling on that. Um, that's a that's a tough one, and it's going to kind of tie into the uh, the topic of our show today. But um, just real quick, off the top of your head, and we'll make reference back to it later. Uh, Pat's not looking to trade Garoppolo. If you're the GM of the New England Patriots, uh, is that the move you're making? Well, I, yes and no. I mean, I wouldn't. I think if I'm him, I based on what they're what the company line is, I'm trading him. But I'm telling you, to me, that's a tell. You know that word that they have in poker? You got yourself a tell. That's 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 a tell that I think the Patriots realize even Father Time is undefeated. He's uh he's never been beaten, and as much as uh, you know Brady wants to believe that he'll play until he's like 72, um, I, I think the the Patriots realize there's a chance at some point when it when it's over, at at this age in sports when it goes it goes quick. I mean it won't be sure. gradual. I don't think. I you know it's going to be one of those things like Peyton Manning can no longer throw a spiral things. Right. Sure, um, and, and we've seen that before. If you've been around long enough in sports, you've seen that happen time and again. Um, but uh, how about this? I, do you think you think Bill Belichick stays past? Bill Belichick is the general manager. Am I not correct? Uh, yeah, whatever they call him. Yeah, he picks he picks the groceries, says Parcells used to say. He's he's the grocery right. man. He's he, he's the bag I mean, man no, in that in that sense. Yeah, is he staying beyond? Tom Brady, I don't see that happening. So um, I can't see it happening for several reasons. He's, you know, he's probably going to want to enjoy some retirement. He's worked hard. I mean, I know he likes to. He's got a a younger girlfriend. You know, not like daughter young, but younger than him. He probably wants to go do some stuff. Um, You know, I'm I'm thinking at some point he says, "Hey, I've had enough of this crap." Yeah, one would think so, but you never, never really know. But if indeed he is leaving with Brady, then. Um, a, a move such as this would, yeah, I guess, would say you you're a lover of the franchise and not really totally thinking about yourself here. Because if you're just thinking about yourself and you build Belichick and you have the power to make all the personnel moves you want to make, I think you do trade a Garoppolo, see what you can add to the team um, for the final years of Tom Brady, however long that may be. But instead, they're holding on to Garoppolo. And is the thinking we have like an Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre type thing here? Yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, like I said, I I just see this as one of those deals. I don't know if they're if they're going to have any acrimony because of it. I mean, I think it'll work out fine. I just think that that's the Patriots being smart and being the Patriots saying, yeah, we might be able to add a piece or two, but we won the Super Bowl last year. I mean, what's more important? I mean, we add that piece and maybe we don't win it anyway, and now we're high and dry if Brady plays next year. Uh, something happens, he gets hurt, he's not himself, and he just says, okay, I've had enough of this, I'm done. And, and and now you're really out in the woods in the NFL. You don't have a quarterback. We always say you don't have a chance. So 
to me, that's just the Patriots being smart and and playing the the long game there. Yeah. Uh, well, more to more to come on that. Other news uh, and you know, NFL free agency has started, so uh, we're going to have a number of things that will raise eyebrows on a daily basis, and one will be. Uh, you know, who gets cut, and the other will be who gets a fat contract that they probably don't deserve, which is the norm in NFL free agency. But a couple of uh, moves yesterday, it, it seems Minnesota is going to part with Adrian Peterson. There are a lot of people that say this is probably a couple of years too late, but uh, the time ha- has come for Adrian Peterson. He's not what he used to be, and, of course, a couple of knee injuries um, helped accelerate that situation. The Jets are going to part ways with Darrell Revis. Should come as no surprise. If you watched Revis in 2016 in a Jets uniform, he was a shell of himself. And then uh, also the Chiefs releasing Jamal Charles. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know how surprised we should be at that, given what the Chiefs were able to accomplish. And they've added a couple of dynamic playmakers of Charles's ilk that they're paying a whole lot less there. I mean, any of these moves surprised you yesterday? No, it's, you know what's surprising me is I see these running backs going. There seems to be this whole, uh, you know, I mean, God Almighty, there seems to be this love for my Cowboys. Everybody wants Jamal Charles, you know, wants wants to go to Dallas. Adrian Peterson, there's rumors. I mean, come on, Everyone I just don't see those moves. You should know that they got those hogs. Well, I understand that. They also got a guy who who's going to average 25 touches a game for quite a while if he doesn't get hurt or 22 and that doesn't leave a lot but then again I guess if you as long as you understand where you're at which kind of fits into our show as we talk about aging stars I guess that's okay I mean you know I don't know where Adrian Peterson's head is at there's been some rumors that you know Dallas is interested but I don't know I mean is he really a guy that wants to get eight to ten carries a game I mean if he I congratulate him if he's smart enough to realize that you know, he'd be better off in that role, but I'm not sure that that's how that works. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we're just going to have to see how that goes. And then, of course, your team, um, they're on watch, 24-hour watch, to see what they're going to do with Tony Romo. It's probably inevitable that they're going to let Tony Romo go. Uh, briefly, let's just you and I speculate on – Do you want the math money. on that, by the way, how that works? Because, you know, what I found, what I've come to find in researching this because I've had some people say to me around here, you know, I don't understand, because I think they'll let him go, like you just said. And, and they said, I don't know why aren't they going to trade him. And I was trying to explain that Romo counts against Dallas's cap this year if he stays $24.7 million, okay? If they were to trade him, the dead money is $19.7 million, meaning they save $5 million net against this year's cap, even though it's dead money. Let's face it, if he's on the roster, he counts 24-7. You cut him, you know, you trade him, it's, you, you save $5 million bucks. It only counts 19-7. However, if they are to trade him and they, they designate him post-June 1, you can split that dead money up between two years. So basically, this year's savings w- would amount to, you know, you'd only have $9.5 million of dead money. You'd save $15 million, and then next year you'd be on the hook for the other 9.5. So for them, they're weighing, if we can only get, say, a sixth-round pick for Romo or a fifth-round pick, are we better off having the extra money for free agency in our draft and just letting them go 
you know, having that extra money this year versus getting maybe a fifth or a sixth rounder. I think if Dallas can't get someone to give them a third or a fourth rounder, they're just going to release Romo. Now, if someone comes along and says, hey. Oh, hey, listen, I thought this was all about doing the best for Tony and letting Tony pick his team. You mean there's math involved? Like the, the, the franchise has looked at this from a financial standpoint and they're going to make the best fiscal move? I thought this was all about letting Tony pick his team. Well, let me say this, and this is obviously, you know, I'm no closer than you other than I probably read more about it just because I care more necessarily. That doesn't mean I I have a better opinion. But my guess is this. He's very close with Jerry Jones, the the father, um, to the point that they've, you know, even last year you saw him at high school championship games for his grandson. So the relationship is such that I don't think Jones would trade him, say, to, and I'm going to pick on them again, the Cleveland Browns. You know, I don't think Jones would call Tony up in the morning and go, hey, Tony, I got the Cleveland Browns to give me a second rounder for you, so you're going to Cleveland. I don't think that would happen. But if it was a reasonable situation, say a Chicago or a New York, someplace where he'd be on a big stage, and somebody said, hey, we'll give you a a third rounder with a conditional second if he plays X number of games and snaps or something, I, I think that's what Jerry would do. I mean, hey, he paid him a lot of money, Chad. I mean, it's not like yeah. like Romo worked for free for the Dallas Cowboys, okay? I mean, he got paid a lot of money, so you know he's still an asset of the team. And and I think Jerry would try to be kind, but at the same time recoup something. That said, I don't think anybody's given you that deal because f- for that to happen, you know, it would take a few things. He'd have to restructure his contract up front with the Cowboys. They'd have to do the trade. You'd have to have somebody willing to take on a pretty big contract and the risk of losing a draft pick for a guy who, frankly, got hurt playing behind the best offensive line in football. So the chances are, wherever he goes, he's going to get hit more. Well, to, to consider there, let me ask you this question. If, if, if and when Tony Romo leaves, who's the backup over there? Uh, well, right now, from what I understand, you know, it's not going to be Sanchez, thankfully. Um I, I think there's there's mutual interest right now. I read a story two days ago that uh, Josh McNown, from the guy from Cleveland, there's mutual interest in him coming in there as a backup. You know, a guy who's played snaps in the league, had you know the misfortune of playing in Cleveland where it's hard for anyone to look good. But I think he's a guy that, you know, two or three games you can get by with him. I mean, let's face it, if you lose your starting quarterback, Dak Prescott or Tony Romo, unless one is backing up the other, you're not going anywhere anyway. Okay, so last year was a unique situation they had just because of what transpired. Those situations usually don't exist in the NFL. So I think if they were to get a McNown, I'd be happy because, I mean, after seeing Mark Sanchez in that last game against the Eagles last year when they were just, you know, playing out the string, I was like, wow. Let's not look at it, Emil, from a catastrophic injury quarterback out for the season. You lose a guy for four weeks. Do you have, you know, you'd like to have someone in there that could keep you at two and two or three and one, and not zero and four. Well, I, I mean, three. I think you'd agree if they if they were to do a deal with a McNown, I think you would probably say that's not a bad deal for the Cowboys. I mean, he's he's played in a tough situation up there in Cleveland, but I mean, he's not. When I watch him, I don't ever come across come away with the opinion that the guy's horrific or anything like that. You know, it's also a tough deal too when you have a situation like that happen. You lose your quarterback for four or five weeks, and then the backup comes in. He goes three and one, or four and one, or you know, uh, has a pretty decent record. Kind of diminishes the value, at least in the fans' eyes, of the number one guy. 
because, you know, fans will make a full-out long-term determination off of four or five games. And so – well, you know, sure. The Patriots went three. The Patriots went three and one without Tom Brady last year. But I can guarantee you, they weren't winning the Super Bowl without him. I, I you know, I, I, I think fans have to remember, as you just kind of pointed out with what you said, short term and long term in sports are completely different. These guys were, are all professional athletes. They all collect a check on Tuesdays. So, in the short term, if a guy elevates his game and is prepared properly by the coaches. He can come in and do the job for a while, and that's what a backup player is designed for. It's no different than in sport you love, baseball. You know, you lose your left fielder for three, four weeks. Yeah, that guy might come in and be just fine, but if you have to play that guy for six months, that's the reason he's a bench player. Yeah, no doubt about that. And that's, you know, I think you're looking at that the correct way. All right, uh, just a couple of more headlines here before we launch into our topic here today. But, um, you know, there's. Heading to the college ranks, um, Michigan State has a situation now where they've got three players accused of sexual assault. Uh, this seems to be a growing problem on college campuses. Uh, maybe, a, maybe a topic that's worthy of an entire podcast discussion, uh, but, you know, we're seeing this more and more, and they now tip Michigan State. They've had to remove these three guys. Obviously, uh, in these situations, they remain uh, nameless, but... You know, the Baylor thing should scare us all, but this seems to be a growing problem across college campuses. And I'm, you know, I'm not sure what... It's it's a big problem, and I don't mean to seem flip when I say this, but I don't understand it with these guys. Because, you know, again, I'm trying to watch how I phrase this. I mean, you're playing college football at a big school. I'm going to guess finding willing girls to... Be your friend is not a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what true, do you think? But I want to be careful and do this. I, I don't want to make all these guys guilty because we've sure seen our fair share of situations where it was a false accusation uh, by the female in that situation. So you do have that. Oh, no, 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 no doubt. I'm not convicted. Hey, hey, I'm not convicting anyone. I've seen that firsthand in my life. You have too. I mean, the Duke lacrosse is the most egregious that you'll ever see, probably, but there's been enough of them over the years that it's a long laundry list of people who have been wrongly accused. That said, though, it seems to be pretty rampant in general across college football. I mean, we, you know, we, with the Baylor situation being a big one, and, and staying on that topic where there really is you know, a, a fire where we see the smoke, I'm, I'm just confused by what, what's going through these guys' heads because – I mean, I'm trying to be a realist here. I mean, you're playing big-time college football. I'm thinking you can find a few females who, you know, want to want to enjoy your company. I mean, I mean I'm not getting this. Yeah, you would think so. Uh, you'd have to think, you know, alcohol and rampant drug use probably plays a part in it because we all know the type of decisions we make when our mind is altered by uh, any of those substances. So that's probably playing a big part in that. Uh, as well, and then you know what? I want to dive deep into this whole Ole Miss thing, um, and that's that's going to be a topic in a future show. But uh, I just had a little bit of a chuckle at some of the things the NCAA put out there uh, early on in their discussion of the Ole Miss. Uh, like, who knew, Emil, that they were 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 cheating? We should all be shocked by this. Um, but they're you know threw out there that there were some thirteen thousand dollar payments to recruit. Okay. Okay, NCAA, you guys keep digging, all right? There's more stuff there. We'll wait. Well, I don't want.
want to, you know, I don't want to go all Rush Limbaugh here when he goes into his archives. I hear him, you know, he pulls up predictions he's made when he's right. But I wish that we could figure out what show it was because I remember two or three years ago, and you and I were talking about this when I was visiting with you down there. And I said, do you remember I went off on one of those things a few years ago? I saw a recruiting class, and they had three of the top ten players. And, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, listen, no offense, Ole Miss, but you're not Alabama, you're not Florida, you're not LSU, you're Ole Miss. You've had some nice seasons. Yes, I know Eli Manning played there. You won something back in, like, 1960. Um, I saw an ESPN 30 for 30 where where in the 60s you were still abusing uh, black athletes, and now all of a sudden all these black athletes are ending up at Mississippi. And I'm just, you know. Yeah. but like I said, that's 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 better left for a, a long show because this whole Ole Miss thing. I'm gonna wait for more uh, information to be revealed because you're not gonna just sit here and hit me with, well, we found a thirteen thousand dollar payment. Like I said, uh, get your shovels out, NCAA, and keep digging. I want to talk about this, Amo. I've been reading this book, and I'm I'm near the end here. It's by Dave Halberstam, the late Dave Halberstam, very good author, number of bestsellers. Uh, but it's this particular one, The Education of a Coach, talks about Bill Belichick. He's primary subject of this uh, book. Uh, also mentions quite a bit, at least in the early part, about his father and how uh, father kind of prepped him for um, the career that he has now. And in it, um, just recently got to the part uh, where Bill Belichick was coach of the Cleveland Browns. And, um, you know, it's just brought to mind a number of things for me, and you know, as I sit here reading it uh, about Bill Belichick, who is arguably uh, the best coach that there's ever been in this game in the NFL, um, how his time in Cleveland was just so different from his time with New England. And there are a couple of revelations that came to me here that caused me to do some research and really dig into my mind about uh, some things and just some harsh facts and uh, just how aging stars will ruin a franchise, and that's a topic we're going to get into, but we're going to head out to a break. When we get back, we're going to jump into that, how the aging star ruins a franchise, and we'll give a number of examples and have that discussion here on the Gridiron Stud Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you love fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payoffs. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over 600000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one-day contest for $25 and, get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code Studs when you sign up. 
But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! Uh, great deal of amount of success with the New York Giants. So he came 
to the Cleveland Browns with all these plans. But what he didn't have a plan for, Emil, was uh, what to do with the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. And that was, at the time, uh, Bernie Kosar, who had had a tremendous amount of success in Cleveland, but was, so to speak. And uh, it's similar to some uh, other situations that we've seen, but I, you don't need me to tell you that it didn't work out. Bernie Kosar was a shell of himself, already didn't come into the game of, the, of professional football with a t- tremendous amount of physical ability. He just was very smart. But what little physical ability he had had started to really diminish. And um, the opposing teams pretty much knew it. He was stationary in the pocket, and he just couldn't get the throws and the ball to the places where he needed to get it. Never really had a big live arm, but he just really didn't have one. Um, just think of Peyton Manning in that last year, um, half of whatever Peyton Manning was in that last year. Oh, yeah. I, I, listen, I remember the end of, of Kozar's uh, career, and, yeah, he was throwing uh, lollipops. Yeah, and, and opposing defenses knew it. Bill Belichick knew it, but it was the aging star, the guy that had taken this franchise to places it hadn't been in years, and um, that was a serious problem in how to deal with Kozar. Ultimately, it led to, you know, Belichick leaving. By the time Belichick showed up, the Browns, obviously, you know, Belichick got the job because they had to let go of the guy before because he wasn't performing. So, um the Browns had had back to back. It had just come off a three and thirteen season with Kozar as the quarterback. Kozar as the quarterback the first year with Bill Belichick. He's six and ten, and Belichick, Belichick says, "You know, I got to do something here." So brings in uh, Vinny Testaverde. Things start going well, and then Testaverde gets hurt, and now you got to go back to Kozar, and you got this whole back and forth thing. All the while, the city of Cleveland is firmly behind their star quarterback. Bernie Kozar, despite the fact that his skills had begun to erode and diminish because they were still stuck on those three years where those guys were in the playoffs and they had come to the doorstep and he had brought them so many great moments. And that was a serious, serious problem for Bill Belichick and Cleveland. Ultimately, he just cut ties with Bernie Kozar. It really came to a head where Kozar, uh, you know, changed a play in a game on him, and Bill Belichick just uh, at the end of the day went to went to uh, to to the manager, the owner, um, and said, you know, went to Art Modell and said, this guy's got to go. And uh, they got you, you know what though? Can I, can I make a point about that whole time too? Belichick is incorrectly remembered as being a complete failure in Cleveland, and it really wasn't the case. And I I distinctly remember the '94 Cleveland Browns. Um, they were a wild card team. They were second in that division behind the Steelers. They finished 11-5 and in the regular season. They won a wild-card playoff game, beating, coincidentally, the Patriots, who at the time were coached by Parcells. And then they lost to the Steelers in the divisional round like by 20 points or something. But they had a good club that year. I distinctly remember it. So it wasn't like Belichick went there and was just absolutely atrocious. No. And, you know, Jim, Vinny Testaverde was the, the, was the you know, the quarterback that year he did end up getting, you know, injured, but um, he was a quarterback that year and things were moving along in the right way. But then Testaverde got hurt. And then the following year, you had to do Testaverde and the whole bring Kozar back thing. And then you got rid of Kozar. And then now um, the team, 
announced that they were moving in the middle of the year, and all three of those things coming together uh, pretty much sunk Bill Belichick. But the number one problem for Bill Belichick was Bernie Kosar, the aging star, diminishing skills, who had brought the city, the franchise, the team, all kind of great moments, and fans not being able to let it go, media in the city not being able to let it go and realize the guy for what it is. If you read this book and, and you, you know, I've learned a lot from how Belichick was raised, but I've learned a lot about what he is and how he is now from the failures and the things that he experienced in his time in Cleveland. And it will explain a lot why he doesn't waste any time with guys uh, when, when they're getting near the end. He's just really trained himself to see when a guy's getting close to the end, I'm not even going to mess around. I'm not even going to mess around. And I'm going to just do it now. You know who else had this a similar problem? And we experienced it down here in South Florida firsthand. It was Jimmy Johnson when he came to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, he came in. There was this the aging star who had brought so many great moments to the franchise, to the city. It was Dan Marino. And it was almost a carbon copy of what happened to Bill Belichick in Cleveland. So we're talking about right here the guy that's arguably the best that's ever coached in this game. And another guy who you would put in anyone's top five of coaches that had been in the NFL and Jimmy Johnson, who piled together a very nice dynasty in the 90s for the Dallas Cowboys. And both of them ran into the same problem that sunk their battleship in a franchise. And it's just something we have seen repeat itself over and over. Now, in the year. Well, let me ask since, you this. Remember the great Bill Walsh? Now, Bill Walsh was famous. He's the one who basically came along and said when he was running the 49ers. It's better to part with a guy a year early for your for your franchise than a year late. Now, if you remember when he had left the 49ers, turning it over to Seifert, who was a disciple of his, do you remember the backlash when they sent Joe Montana to Kansas City? I mean, it was like, yeah, but but if you remember, it ended up being the right decision for everybody. Montana got the Chiefs to an AFC Championship game in the early 90s and lost. He was done at that point. Steve Young came in, took over, and eventually led the franchise to a Super Bowl. So it worked out for everyone. Yeah, I just, I, I under, listen, I, I don't understand how fans don't see it, but then I also understand how they get tied in emotionally to the player. But at oftentimes, it is quite clear that that aging star has diminished, and who you thought he was is not coming back. So you're sitting there holding on to hope, and then you vilify the coach for making a move that's best for the franchise, and they put so much pressure on him. I mean, Bill Belichick got pressured out of Cleveland between the media and the fans. I mean, do you remember that last year for Belichick? Oh, I mean, they were yeah. Brutal. They chased yeah, him out but of I mean, let me ask you this. You started the show. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about this. It's, it's ironic that basically kidding around, you started the show with w- what was the most recent version of this. It happens every year in the NFL where the aging star, whether it's a quarterback or running back, is replaced by the young stud. And, the fan, you know, you got a fraction of that fan base who's vocal. And, you know, we almost had that last year, if you remember, doing the show uh, when Dak Prescott had those couple rough games on the road and you had a whole faction of very vocal cowboy fans that you know were like put Romo back in uh and and to their credit they held the line there and went forward with the plan because I think 
that's a that would have been another example in this category of a dangerous thing to do for a franchise because then you what you're saying you open up controversies quarterback controversies is is that guy ever going to be the same again probably not most fans remember the guys when they're 30 years old not when they're almost 40 <laughs> and there's a difference there's some very fortunate things that have happened for the Dallas Cowboys in this situation one was the injury to Tony Romo being long term and not something where he just missed three or four games. They were fortunate in that. Also fortunate in that the backup came in and was able to continue to win, not just play well, but continue to win games. Because even though Dak Prescott would have been playing well last year, if they'd started losing games, which could have been for something totally out of you know his control, um, there would have been more pressure to get Tony Romo back in there because he'll fix all of this. And then the Cowboys might have had a full-blown quarterback controversy on their hands. But, uh, so they've, they've been able to avoid this situation, primarily because the backup came in and did so well. Uh, but that was you know, not necessarily the situation for, for, for Cleveland. Tessa Verde did come in and do well, but then he ended up getting hurt. And so uh, you know, this is a situation that I think the Cowboys have been very fortunate in, in getting by, but others are going to come into this. And we really, you got to look into history to figure out what's going to happen next. And it's just astonishing to me that more teams don't do this in the years since, and I've got these stats here for you. Uh, in the years after the 20 years past Bernie Kozar being a starter for the Cleveland Browns, the Browns have enjoyed Emil, you're ready for this. And this should come as no surprise, just two winning seasons out of the next 20. 20 seasons. Wow. Only winning seasons. There have been 17 well, seasons. Well, doesn't surprise me because it set the franchise back so far. I mean, they, they never developed the next quarterback. Now you're searching every every other year in the draft trying to hit on one. I mean, how many quarterbacks? I'd love to know in those 20 years, how many quarterbacks did they take? I mean, I can't even add them up in my head, but I bet you it's it's been quite a few pops that they took in the first 15 picks at quarterback if we go back and look. Well, I can't tell you exactly who they took. I don't have that in front of me. But here are the start 20 years, okay, 20 years. Here are the leading passers for the Cleveland Browns, 20 years. Tom Zach, Testaverde, Couch, Holcomb, Garcia, Pilfer, Fry, Anderson, Quinn, McCoy, Whedon, Campbell, Hoyer, McCown, Kessler. I think I just rattled off about 11 names in 20 years. Well, and so, they took Whedon as a high draft pick. They took Couch, I think, number one overall, if I'm not mistaken. He was out of Kentucky. I mean, right. they've used a lot of draft capital trying to fix that position, and it just hasn't happened. And maybe you do trace a lot of that back to that time when that transition was going on between Kozar and maybe running Belichick out of town. I mean, how does history change if the franchise is patient with Belichick and he stays there? Oh, I mean, a number of things. They just let the man coach and do his thing. So, I mean, one should not feel sorry for the city of Cleveland just based basically on how they treated Bill Belichick. I, I want to point this out to you as well. In the 17 years since Dan Marino was the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, the Dolphins have only had five winning seasons out of 17. came as a little bit of a surprise for you. I know things hadn't been well, but only five winning seasons out of 17 in the years since Marino? I mean, that's well, a, that's, listen, I know. I mean, you go back and look. I mean, how much, how much capital and brand equity 
did the Dolphins build up over the years with Don Shula that people our age are old enough to remember. So we still kind of have that tucked in our memory bank, and we forget that that team has been not even mediocre for the last couple of decades. They've been pretty much a bad franchise. Yeah, um, and, and, there's, and there's no question about it. I just laid that out to you. I went and did some further digging. You remember the great Johnny Unitas? You know, you had sure. a little bit of that limping his way out of town. In 20 years after Johnny Unitas was the coach, was the uh, quarterback for the Baltimore Colts, they had five winning seasons out of 20. And this is just an epidemic um, and a situation that continues to repeat itself. And you see, it, it, this doesn't just happen in football. Um, look at the Lakers right now, past Kobe Bryant. It's almost like these franchises try to hang on to what they were with this superstar at that particular position. Like the next guy coming in is going to be that. you got to recognize you had an outstanding player, a one-of-a-kind player almost, at that position. And then to try and now force that on the next guy coming in, you've only set yourself up for failure. So there's two things that happen here. You take too long to cut loose with the star because of all these emotions that are tied into it. And then the other part is you trying to continue what you had with that star, but with another guy. It's almost like you're moving into a, a new house, Emil, and they're forcing you in this house that you moved into to take an ugly couch. I'm talking like the couch that still has that plastic <laughs> on it from back in the day. You've moved into your new home. And someone's forcing you to deal with this couch that's sitting there in your house. Chad, you can't talk about plastic on a couch with an Italian because I can tell you I've been in houses over the years with the old school Italians, and they have the plastic on the couch. So It happened in black families, too. It just was uh, you know, something that you did back in the day, something that my kids have been able to avoid in their lifetime. And I'm very fortunate. To, uh, to not have them experience that. But it really, that's what it is. Here's your brand new home, but you've got to uh, keep this couch right here. And it's a big old ugly couch. And that's exactly what it is that I'm seeing here. When I look at the Denver Broncos, as you know, they had a great and John Elway. In the years past Elway, the Denver Broncos had a, you know, a great deal of success. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, don't forget, Elway went out on top. I mean, did, I mean, didn't he win the second Super Bowl and then retire? He did. But what did yeah, you notice? He didn't him? hang on. I mean, what we're talking about here, though, is something that's very common in sports. I think, you know, we're talking about the franchise, but here's what makes it difficult. Athletes, most of them, have big egos and they're warriors. So rarely is an athlete smart enough to see the writing on the wall and walk away on on his own on his own terms or her own terms. What usually happens is they have to be told they can't do it anymore. And you see it all the time in boxing where where they get told very loudly they can't do it anymore because they get their ass beat, you know, three or four fights in a row and they get beat badly by guys who ten years earlier they would have knocked out in two or three rounds. And then finally it dawns on these guys like, hey, I can't do this anymore. In football you see it all the time because, you know, you're not going to get knocked out. So, you know, maybe you go out one week, you throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns, and you think, I can still do this. You know, and then two weeks later, it's four interceptions. And I think you see a lot of these, especially at the quarterback position, they just they can't walk away from it. They have to be told they can't do it anymore. 
Yeah, uh, this, uh, it has to be hammered home. But I've noticed, um, and just to give you a stat that's, you know, uh, that lines up with all of the other ones that I've given you, in the 18 years past John Elway in Denver, they've had 11 winning seasons out of 18. They've also enjoyed a Super Bowl victory um, yeah. during that. No, no doubt. I mean, they – the good run there, I mean, it's a well-run franchise. He helped them by walking away at the top, um, <clears throat> which he didn't hang around and do some of the stuff that other guys have done. You, I'm sure there's, you know, you're on the NFL Network and you like watching that football life stuff. They do a lot of good pieces. Um, I saw the one about last month, I think it was, or two months ago, I saw the one on Aikman. He quit when he was 34. And he said, you know, everybody thought I quit because of concussions or I quit – because of my back, he goes, I didn't quit because of any of that. I didn't want to play anymore. I didn't want to play the way we were playing. At that time, the, the franchise was basically falling apart. A lot of the salary cap had gotten them. A lot of the stars were retiring or, you know, coming to the end of their careers, and he just quit. He basically said, I'm done. Yeah, and a fortunate thing for him, too, because he was, get, he was you know, getting knocked to the clouds quite a bit. So a, a smart thing on – Oh yeah, it happened. It happened to coincide with that Lavar Arrington hit on the sidelines. If you remember that one, that was basically the one that kind of retired him. Um, so no, I mean he was fortunate that he, that he was smart enough to see it though. I mean I think your guy Derek Jeter is a guy that comes to mind, a guy that I always had a lot of respect for and still do. But I, I think Jeter hung on a couple of years too long, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? You can't leave that up to the athlete. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta, that's gotta be the, the team, the, the uh, ownership, uh, that's gotta be the general manager and that's gotta be the, the coach. Um, but I will say this about the, the Broncos, what happened towards the end of Elway's career had a lot to do with the success that they enjoyed beyond that. And look, we got to give Elway credit for allowing it to happen, but it's what I think needs to happen when you have. Uh, a superstar at a certain position, uh, especially when you're talking about quarterback. I think what needs to happen is a, re in, a reinvention. You got to reinvent yourself either towards the end of that player's career, if you'll allow it, or immediately after. So with the Broncos, it was all about Elway passing and throwing the ball around. And then towards the end of his career, they got Terrell Davis, who's now been – um, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, or will be uh, this year, and they became a more run-centric team. And it was an identity that they kept beyond Elway that allowed them and continued their success going forward. The Denver Broncos reinvented themselves. When I sit here and look at what happened down here in Miami, past Marino, they brought in these quarterbacks, Fiedler, uh, and I can go through the long list of guys that they brought here, but they wanted them to they wanted to continue being who they were, but without the guy that made them that. You know, they brought in Fiedler, they had they had Henny, they had Pennington, they had Lemon, Harrington. Uh, you had all kind of guys coming in here to try and do the Marino thing when they weren't Marino. And I just think once you lose that guy or he moves himself out, it's time to reinvent yourself and then find that thing you're going to build the franchise around. So it's going to be interesting to me to see what happens with yeah, New but, England. You know, fans don't understand that. I got attacked on social media last year at the end of the season when even, you know, as as well as Aaron Rodgers played, and I don't know if I ever saw a guy for that second half of the season in those first playoff games 
play quarterback that efficiently in the NFL in a long, long time if I ever have. I mean, it was amazing what he did. But I just kept making the point that, you know, when number 88 is your running back, at some point you're going to have a game where Aaron Rodgers can't be Superman and you're you're going to lose. And, and you know, fans think, you're that, that, oh, you're an idiot. Look, at you know, they beat the Cowboys. He threw the ball. Okay, yes, they won, they won the game. Great. But eventually, when he doesn't play to that level, they're going to get blown out. And uh, that's what happened. I mean, and, you know, I think Rodgers, as, as great as he is, would be even greater and more efficient if he would allow the Green Bay Packers to establish a running game kind of the way Brett Favre did when the Packers were good. You know, I forget the big guy they used to hand the ball to, but uh, they had a pretty darn good running game there in Green Bay. I saw them win quite a few games in the mud where they ran the ball with with Favre. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think you're talking about Edgar Bennett, but I don't want to get off a topic here. I I think that's the number one thing teams, and I know it's a difficult thing to do because you've had so much success doing this one thing, and then – um, if you're that player, if you're a Reno or if you're a Kozar or if you're you know, a United, it's difficult for you at this juncture at, toward the end of your career when you've got 15 years in the game plus to now turn around and do something else. Like, oh, you want me to turn around and hand the football off when all I've done and all the success that I've enjoyed in this game has been throwing the ball around. Now you want me to turn around and just go do the total opposite? That's exactly what needs to happen. Because you you've essentially changed. Even while you're there, you're not you're not that guy. So in 1998, Dan Marino was not Dan Marino. Just wasn't. He was no. some other guy. Same name, but he was not 1986, 1985, Dan Marino. So it's time now to turn around and reinvent yourself as a franchise. And a lot of these franchises have not been able to do that. It takes making some very very tough decisions. Only a handful of teams have been able to do it. Uh, I got to give kudos to Peyton Manning, realizing that my skills have eroded here and I need to like make a change from who I've been. Did you notice what Peyton Manning was in that last year? He gave way to Gary Kubiak. And he, he, he allowed them to run the ball and I'll throw it when I need to. And he ended up winning the Super Bowl. And I just think well, franchises right, right because he, he had enough football sense to understand that he couldn't he could you know all the you know the film never lies and and as a guy who watches a lot of film like Manning I'm sure you know he saw what the rest of us were seeing I mean he's throwing balls you know they were they, they were bringing down snow on the ball and when they were coming down he had a loop on the ball so he realized yeah. listen I can't go out there and sling it around forty times because the more that ball's in the air the more chance it's going to be intercepted. And I think he's just a smart player, and he put his ego aside and said, you know, let me win one here before I leave. And and then they did. Yeah, I, I, I think being able to reinvent yourself is the mother of longevity, really, in uh, any sport uh, or any really almost any endeavor. You, if you're going to hang around for a long time, at some point you're going to have to reinvent yourself because 35-year-old you is not 25-year-old you. And so it's a it's a it's a different deal. And the same I see the same thing going on at the college level. And I'll tell you what I think that is when we get back on the Gridiron Stud Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back right after this.
what's the truth? Well, here it is. Speed kills. And in no other sport is that true than in football. Speed gets you to the end zone. Speed gets you to the ball carrier. Speed makes you a winner. Do you want championship-type speed? Do you want speed that kills? Then Complete Speed is what you need. Complete Speed is turning athletes into game breakers. With quick and easy methods that are easy to understand, Complete Speed can shave time off your 40-yard dash, make you quicker and more explosive. They have a clear progression, drills, and exercises, along with specific instructions. They also have proven sample workouts and programs for you, the individual, or for you, the coach. Speed is what you need, so hurry now and check out Complete Speed. Just go to gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed. That's gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed for more information right now. Sure, someone's gone. Winch is here. But that doesn't mean everyone's putting their t-shirts away. Whether it's the company recreational basketball team, the youth soccer league for the kids, or the Halloween party your buddy throws every year, t-shirts are as much a part of the American culture as Tom Brady deflating footballs. Screen printed t-shirts are costly when done for small groups. They're limited in color unless you want to pay even higher prices. More colors, more costly. The answer? Do it yourself at home with your inkjet printer and a hand iron. Whether it's your 7-on-7 team, your child's birthday party, or the family reunion, you can do it yourself and they'll look great. That's right, with heat transfer paper sold at t-shirtsupplies.com, you can design your own logos, do the wording whatever you want, print it on your own inkjet paper sold by t-shirtsupplies.com, and iron it on with your own hand iron. The design or pictures you put on your t-shirts are limited only by your own imagination and creativity. If you dream it up and design it, the paper sold at t-shirtsupplies.com can get it onto your t-shirt. By the way, don't worry if you haven't done it before. As T-Shirt Supplies has first-rate customer service, they'll help you get the right paper for your project and steer you in the right direction. Visit them at t-shirtsupplies.com. That's t-shirt, no hyphen, supplies pearl, all one word, dot com. Or call them at 1-877-857-2737. It's 1-857-85-PAPER. T-shirtsupplies.com. Go there now. Ten fifty four.
turn things back to the farm system and develop their own talent, that they came around and, and went on one of, uh, one of the major runs of their history. They got the Derek Jeters, they got the Jorge Posadas, the Andy Pettits, the Mariano Rivera, the Bernie Williams, all guys that grew up in their farm yeah. system. And it took a reinvention. And when I watch this down on the college level, it's the same thing. Now, obviously in college, you're, you know, you're helped with the aging star <laughs> with graduation. So they don't really age, just they come, they do their thing, they move on. But what I do see happening on the college level is this. You get yourself an outstanding player, usually at the quarterback position, and there's a failure to realize that this was a very unique individual, um, supremely talented. And once he walks and leaves leaves the program, um, they try to do the same thing with others that come in. So basically, they're trying to put rims on a 20-year-old Subaru. And it's, uh, you know, it just doesn't fit. And yeah, you know, oftentimes, well, the oftentimes, Emil, the best thing a coach could do is realize, because we are in a mobile society with the coaching profession, one of the best things that a coach could do is when that particular player leaves the program, especially, again, when he's a quarterback, uh, it's time for you to leave as well. So, like, Vince Young in Texas, Mac Brown should have left with Vince Young. Um, RG3 at Baylor? Unless, unless you have the discipline. Because here's the thing. I mean, I think the best coaches realize, you know, and it sounds kind of obvious, but it's, as you're pointing out, it doesn't work that way. You, you know, you got to coach to what your guys do best. The best coaches will put guys in a position to succeed. And they realize that, hey, I have Vince Young, but this next guy does things that maybe he does some things better than Vince Young, but the things that we did with Vince Young, I can't expect this next guy to do because he's not Vince Young. He's not that kind of athlete, you know, but a lot of coaches, as you said, don't have that discipline and they believe, well, this is my system. So I'm just going to put another guy in my system and we're just going to keep going. And, and to your point, you've got to realize when you have a generational talent that, yeah, your system may be pretty good, but, but that guy made it look even better. Yeah, they foolishly think that um, it's about the system when they don't realize that this is about a very unique individual, that the chances of me getting this same guy is not it. You know where there's a system? There's a system in Alabama. Okay, A.J. McCarron, um, Greg McElroy, uh, these are not, these are not um, generational talent. They are very good within our system. Uh, you know, so it doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but I can get another one of those guys, you know, it's, so it's not, well, it's young. It's not yeah. And I also one. think, I also think college is a lot different than pros in this sense. And, and let me see how I phrase this. Um, I think the coaching in college is important in the sense of player development. In other words, like we've talked about getting a guy to improve every year that he's there, every practice that he's there. I don't know if in most college games, unless it's a game where you have two very good evenly matched teams, that the X's and O's matter as much as they like to say as the Jeffs and Joes. I think in college, a lot of games in a 12-game schedule, if you're developing players well, you can just win with better talent if, if it's well-developed talent. You don't have to be Bill Walsh or Bill Belichick. I think in the pros, every game the X's and O's matter because the talent is so close. Yeah, and there's a big-time familiarity there uh, with with teams. And it's not 120 right. teams. 
You know what I mean? Is is I mean you've seen the guys on your schedule, and you're playing guys twice in a season too. So um, you have that part of it, but um, it takes a unique guy to realize when you've had a talent. I mean, I've talked in the past about Urban Meyer leaving with Tim Tebow. I mean, he realized I've got a generational talent here, um, and he really made my system go. So I'm either going to stay here in Florida and totally reinvent and do something that I don't do, or I'm going to leave with this guy. And that's what he did. And you can see the success that he's enjoying now in a new place uh, in another town. Um, but there's plenty of examples where guys have stayed. And now we've got a couple that are coming up that we probably need to pay attention to. You know, I went and made a poll on, on Twitter saying, you know, in the next 10 years, give me four teams you think are most likely to win national titles. And, uh, of course, you got Alabama. And I got a lot of sure. Ohio State. I saw a lot of FSUs in there. And, I, you know, I don't want to take yeah. off on FSU, but I do want to point out that you had a Heisman Trophy winner there in Jameis Winston. And that's a generational talent, Emil. I think we can agree on that, right? Yep. Not only that, you had a guy in the backfield who you could consider a generational talent as well. And to that point, he's the all-time leading rusher now for Florida State University in Dalvin Cook. See, you've got people throwing FSU on there left and right. Um, and, yeah, they listen, they very well might win. But I get this feeling that people think that Florida State's going to set up some kind of a dynasty here. Just lost a generation time. I really feel like Jimbo Fisher should have left with Jameis. Or at least, okay, I feel really great about Dalvin Cook. I'm going to leave after those two guys leave. Let me take the job at LSU or let me take this other job right. and – kind of let things go because you're not getting another Jameis Winston. I'll be damned if you get, you know, you had a really good recruiting class, especially with running back. I don't know if you've got another Dalvin Cook in there. And so I really think, you know, your smarter coaches in college football know when to cut out with a generational talent. We're going to see what happens in Clemson too, him. Because Deshaun Watson sure. is a generational talent. Well, he started at what, 45 football games for them. That alone – I mean, you know, you got a guy playing that much, just, just the fact that, you know, the familiarity, the, the decision-making, all that goes away, that's tough to replace. I mean, I know they're bringing in some five-star stud quarterback this year, and, you know, he very well may be great. I don't know, but, you know, if, if people think just because he's a five-star, he's going to automatically be Deshaun Watson, I think they're kidding themselves. And I'm fairly certain Clemson is going to do and run the exact same system in place that they did with Deshaun Watson. And foolishly, their fan base uh, and others are going to expect the same result. And you know what? Even with all the greatness of Deshaun Watson, they needed a final play in their championship game to win it all. And I said that same thing about uh, Florida State. With the generational talent that was Jameis Winston, you still needed a final drive against Auburn to win it all. A, that shows you just how hard it is to indeed win a championship. And B, if you think that next guy coming in is going to do that, man, you're climbing up a really tall hill. Well, and that's what you have to take a look at. I mean, I'm not saying I, – I mean, I see your point. I don't know if the coach needs to leave as much as he either he needs to be able to adjust. And if he's not going to adjust, then, yes, he should leave. If it's just going to be we're going to do what we do and I'm just going to plug the next guy in there, then you're probably not going to succeed. And you've set the expectations so high for your fan base – that I mean, Florida State had a pretty good year last year. I mean, other than that game that they lost to Louisville, what was the score again against Louisville? 62 to 21. 
Right. 62 to 21 against Louisville. But other than that, I mean, they had themselves a 10 and 3 season. I believe they finished in the top 10 of the in the country. They had a really good year, and I guarantee you, down there in Tallahassee, there's you know factions of that fan base who are unhappy with that season. And it was a really good season. And that's part of the problem, you know, when you set those expectations so high. Even when you're having good seasons, you, you know you have a frustrated fan base because they think every season should be 13 and one or 14 and 0 and end with you playing in the national championship. Yeah, and as I think about all this, I just realize even more the genius of Bill Belichick. And again, I think a lot of it is born out of his experience in Cleveland. But what Bill Belichick has done is, I he has not made himself so dependent on the players in his system. He's really kept it to the system. Like, I'll go plug in a guy who works at a sprint school, and he'll go play my slot receiver this Sunday, and I'm going to win because we've got a system here, and we do things. I don't, I'm not going to be held hostage by any player. Now, we could say he is by Tom Brady, but to that fact, you know, there have been other quarterbacks that have come in and had success. Now, will they ultimately be Tom Brady? Of course not. He's a generational player. But by and large, he set up a system there where I can actually plug in guys and keep things going. And that's not the case, I would dare say, almost anywhere else in the league. And well, and that Chad, that's the way things work the best in everything, including business. I always say, you know, the great companies value the process even above the person. And when you have a great person in a great process, then you get greatness, and that's what's happened with Tom Brady. But you look at companies, you know, that don't value processes, bigger companies. You might have the greatest whatever controller in the world, but when Bob retires, if you didn't set up strong processes and the next guy comes in and he's not as good as Bob, then all of a sudden you have problems. And that that's what happens to, uh, I think, franchises that don't have that, that process or system you know, I'm not saying the Patriots are great. And I don't think you are either because, the, you know, Tom Brady didn't matter. I think Tom Brady in that system made them great. But I think they would have been good with any competent quarterback. Now, they might have never won a Super Bowl, but they would have been good because of the system. And I think that's what makes the Patriots unique in that you can come along and when Brady retires, feel pretty good if you're a Patriot fan, if Belichick hangs around, that he's going to find somebody that can play the position competently. And while you may not win as Super Bowls every year, you're going to be relevant. And, and that's why I think the system is so important. You're not going to just fall off the edge of the table. Likewise, I don't think Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl if he's a New York Jet all these years. Maybe does. Maybe won. So, um, you know, that, that cuts both ways. But do you ever, like we've headed into NFL free agency here, have you ever got the sense ever in any of these last 17 years that the New England Patriots um, felt any amount of desperation or unrest going into free agency, like oh, we've got to, you know, we've, we've got to find a receiver. You know, we definitely got to find a, a, a running back. But we don't get a, a middle linebacker right, and we have to find a corner. We got to. They've never been in that type of situation. Well, we go into the same dance every year on the show at this time of year because. You know, by and large, free agency is fool's gold. I mean, if you enter it big time, you know, probably the last team that I remember having a good run in free agency where they just, you know, made some good decisions and got lucky was the Giants last year. They signed three guys mainly, you know, Vernon, 
who played very well at defensive end for them, Harrison at defensive tackle and Jenkins at corner, all of them pretty much that first year lived up to the contracts. Now we'll see how it plays out from there, but very few teams do what the Giants did and have success. I mean, usually it's fool's gold. Um, guys get overpaid based on needs, so you know, you'll get a, a, a corner that hits the market in the right year, and he's getting 10, 12 million bucks a year, and he's not that player. And he may be a good player for you, but when you're making 12 million bucks a year, the fans expect you to be a difference maker, and so does the team. And when that doesn't happen, people get frustrated. And that's generally what I see happening. The Patriots never really go big into free agency. Matter of fact, most of the time they provide free agents, like you know Chandler Jones <laughs> trading them to the right. Cardinals, uh, yeah, trading he- uh, what Collins to the Browns. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and it's just funny how they never find themselves in that situation of being desperate. Um, They will go find a guy, and we're not going to get into a bidding war for anyone. And if we're going to get a big-time player, it's going to be some cast-off who's happy to be here, a la Randy Moss, or a la, and I don't want to call him a cast-off because he was a pretty good player at that time. They just found that perfect situation, and they acquired Darrell Rivas for a year. Played well, got the job done for him, played uh, won a Super Bowl. And, uh, and they, they were able to move on the next year. They just were not held hostage by Darrell Reeves. We've got to find a way to re-sign Darrell because he was, he was instrumental. He was everything to our success. Thank you, Darrell, for your season of work here with the New England Patriots. You're free to move on now. We'll get another guy. We'll go find a guy from well, Western. There's generally two, moves I, two types of moves I like in free agency. When a young team that has been bad or is starting to get better – when they pluck a guy off, you know, who's been in the league four years, not necessarily a household name, starting to ascend, they see something. I don't mind those moves. I don't mind when a good team plucks an aging veteran for a certain position, you know, a certain need, and they don't overpay and it's the right kind of deal. Kind of like what Denver did with DeMarcus Ware when 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 they got him, even though it seemed like an overpay they pretty much got their three years and $30 million out of him because he mentored Von Miller. He had one big year in there where he had double-digit sacks, and he was a good player for them, and they won a Super Bowl. But they're the kind of moves I like. What I don't like to see in free agency is the guy in the middle of his career who's already an established superstar who gets another huge superstar contract when he's like 30 years old. Usually those yeah. moves are, are failures. Yeah, around that guy. I'm going to build my defense around this guy, or this guy's you know yeah. new to our organization. We're going to build a whole offense around this guy. Just have never really understood that. So things in a bow here, Emil. Um, you know, programs and fans really, because that's who we're talking to here. Well, obviously, there are no general managers for any sport listening to our program. I don't think, but for the fan base, you just really have got to. Find some way in your head and in your heart to realize when your aging star is uh, over the hill and allow a smart, you know, administration or smart front office to make the move that they need to make and not go berserk. I feel like fans just by and large don't trust the front offices. Like everyone thinks they're smarter than the front office and Um, put all types of. Well, you know what it is also, Chad? I think fans have a hard time understanding that just because something happened in a different scenario 
that doesn't mean it would have happened for them. And what I mean by that is, I just used DeMarcus Ware as an example. He left Dallas, what, after the 2013 season? He was breaking down. He wasn't really made to play defensive end at that point in his career. It didn't look like not every down. He went, played outside in the 3-4 at Denver with Von Miller, won a Super Bowl. And you'll get fans that say, man, if we kept DeMarcus for that 2014 season, that one they lost on the Des Bryant play in Green Bay, we would have won that playoff game and kept going. He would have got pressure. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, he, he was playing outside linebacker in a 3-4 in Denver. He wasn't playing a you know hand-in-the-dirt defensive end like he would have been in Dallas. He wasn't playing, you know, he would have been playing every play. I mean, fans have a hard time because he was their guy. Does that make sense to you? In other words, he yeah. was our guy, and, and we gave him away, and, and he won a Super Bowl. <laughs> Yeah, um, it, it, it's tough because there's so much emotional tie-in to, into, you know, this fandom thing. You know, what are fans if not, you know, emotional? But uh, they've just got to learn how to untie themselves from that and just, you know, allow the front office to do their thing. Man. When it's time to cut loose with a guy, I'm just really, you know, reading this book has really made me think, what would have happened, man, if Cleveland would have just gotten behind Belichick and his move? Quite frankly, you know what Bill Belichick should have done and what Jimmy Johnson should have done when they arrived uh, at, the, at the Browns and the Dolphins, respectively? The first move, because I know both of Get them rid of those guys. Move. Get them out of them. Get them out of there. Trade them. Get, 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 bye-bye. Hey, Thank you for your service. Here's a gold watch. Exactly. First move. Because you don't want to wait a couple of years where you're getting to the end of that contract or you've been there for a little while and then fans can give you some backlash and then the owner looks and says, well, all right, well, you know, you've been here for a while. You've had your chance. You're out of there. You know what? First day in, first move, piss the fans off now, and then go about trying to, you know, make them love you on the way back. You know what I mean? So, Well, I, listen, I, think- I don't mind fans. I don't mind fans like, like we're talking on the show. I mean, that's what the show is about. I don't mind fans questioning a coaching decision in the game. I think that's what makes sports interesting. But I do find it funny that fans who never go to practice and get to see a game on Sunday where maybe a guy plays 50 snaps if they're lucky or on Saturday – are all of a sudden, you know, the ultimate talent evaluators. And these coaches who have been doing this for a living their entire lives are at every practice in weight rooms. They see these guys, you know, 16 hours a day that the fan knows more about what the team needs and talent and, and who they should and shouldn't keep versus the coach. I, I just I yeah, don't correct. get that. Yeah, always, always crazy. But as I look back to it, and I'm sure Bill Belichick has looked at it, uh, first thing he should have done was, you know what, we got to cut ties with Bernie Kosar. First thing um, Jimmy Johnson should have done, cut ties with Dan Marino. Take all of the hell um, and, you know, all the criticism that's going to come with that. And then, you know what, you got three, four years to work there. Um, just go about winning games and building the, the squad up. And, you know, at the end of the four years, you can be assessed. But um, just very, very interesting in how the aging star. And we're going to watch it here with a couple of us. Like I said, it's currently in process with the L.A. Lakers, um, but we're going to have a chance to watch it with a couple of other, um, you know, programs and, and a couple of other organizations right now that are going to be heading into that situation. But nevertheless, great topic today, my friend. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. You know, there's a couple teams, I, as you say, that come to my mind. So we'll see. I mean, the Saints have one who, guy's still playing well, but Drew Brees is, what, 38, 39 years old. They better figure out what they're going to do after him. 
Yeah, they're, they're already trailing off over there in New Orleans. I'm really interested on the college level to watch what happens there with the uh, with the Clemson Tigers and what they do past Deshaun Watson. And then I'm uh, I'm, I'm going to watch Florida State and see what they do after the Jameis Winston, Dalvin Cook era. It's going to be very interesting. Everyone thinks they're going to win multiple championships. We'll just have to see about that. But nevertheless, man, back, good to be back on. We've got a Friday show coming. Oh, yeah. But uh, that's it for us, man. We want to thank all of you for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. We appreciate you making us uh, a featured show here, and we thank you all for listening to us. For Emil Calamine, I'm Chad Wilson. Enjoy the rest of your day. Gridiron Stud Show. <laughs>